Hello, everyone, and welcome back to SCADcast. Thank you for joining us. I'm Matt Nickley. This Saturday, and that is, of course, if you're tuning into this within the first few days of release, is opening night of the 25th annual SCAD Savannah Film Festival. That's right, folks. It's been a year. It is back. And this year's honorees are amazing, and they include Ron Howard, Janelle Monet, Eddie Redmayne, Sadie Sink, Jonathan Majors, Nicholas Holt, and Jenna Ortega, and honestly, that's barely scratching the surface of the week-long list of guests, screenings, and panels. If you're participating in this year's festival, I can't wait for you to experience all we have planned. Now, this does mean that the On Creativity podcast will be off next week, as I will be running around like a crazy person. So for today, in preparation for red carpet lineups and the calls for Who Are You Wearing?, I wanted to bring you a very special interview with the arbiter for all questions related to style and fashion, the fashion director and chief fashion critic for the New York Times, Vanessa Friedman. She came to SCAD as a special guest during the 2022 SCAD Fashion Weekend, and that was the same weekend that Christopher John Rogers received his Andre Leon Talley Award. Friedman and Paula Wallace were keen to connect on all things modern fashion and fashion education including the state of luxury, the landscape for collaboration, and where sustainability, arguably fashion's most important challenge, is going. There's no one better to talk to on all these topics than Vanessa Friedman. From SCADcast, this is On Creativity, a conversation between Paula Wallace and Vanessa Friedman. Vanessa, you're on campus at a meaningful time, the SCAD Fashion Show, and our commemoration of the important role Andre Leon Talley had at SCAD. It's an honor to have you here for these celebrations. Oh, it's a pleasure to be with you, Paula, as always. Andre was like one of the gods on Olympus for fashion. He touched so many lives and aspects of the industry. What did he mean specifically for journalists? You know, he was a, a role model, I think, for a lot of a lot of us because he was such a great thinker. You know, Andre is kind of famous for these, you know, very exaggerated pronouncements, these kind of florid <laughs> sentences and the, um, the kind of dictatorialness of what he would say. But actually, you know, everything he wrote, everything he knew came from this very, very deep well of research, of historical knowledge, of uh, cultural knowledge, artistic knowledge. So it was all in, you know, truly, truly informed opinions. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes people miss that in the, the sort of drama of his actual statements. But, you know, what I learned from him was just like, do your homework, <laughs> do your homework, do your homework. I know you bring up anyone or any show and he immediately had some recall of it and that he could talk intelligently about so many different things. And, and of course, he, he loved music and he loved film and so many other aspects of culture, too. Right. He did his thesis, right? His graduate thesis on, on, on Delacroix and Baudelaire and Flaubert. Yes. You know, so a designer would say like, oh, this comes from this, you know, this inspiration of this book I was reading or this piece of art I saw. And then Andre could you know, proceed to tell him everything he didn't know about the thing that had inspired him. Yeah, probably some publicist suggested it would be good if you said this. <laughs> then Andre elaborates on it. <laughs> right. 
Fashion is often the gateway for consumers seeking a luxury lifestyle. And here at SCAD, one of our degree programs is actually luxury and brand management, which Andre loved. I know our students would love to hear what you think they should keep in mind about the luxury mindset in order to best serve them in their paths in this degree. You know, because fashion is just really probably a tiny part of that entire lifestyle. And yet for students, that may be what they're first thinking of, that someone, you know, who's affluent or is in the luxury category um, would patronize. I mean, I think the thing is, there's like lots of definitions of luxury right now, right? There's the market definition, which is which is purely a kind of company category created by the stock market and by investors. Mm -hmm. There is the traditional definition of luxury, which has to do with you know connoisseurship and elitism and inaccessibility and often extraordinary materials and handwork, mm -hmm. and then there is increasingly the kind of contemporary definition of luxury, you know, which can be time and independence, freedom, um, the ability to, you know, make, make your own schedule, to define your own, to define it for yourself effectively. Mm -hmm. And I think for students, you have to almost put all those things together mm -hmm. and think of it that way. Like, mm -hmm. what does it mean? It can mean almost anything you want it to mean, mm -hmm. <laughs> as long as you imbue it with those values. Philanthropy is very important. Education is very important. I, I just hope that they'll take into consideration the full person. I mean, luxury is, you know, having, having a green environment around you. Exactly. Right? Luxury is having a, you know, a future for the planet. Yes. So I think it's, you know, it is all of those, all of those things. And it's one of the reasons you see you know, big luxury companies as defined by the stock market, like LVMH, who, you know, now own hotels, they own cruise lines, they do beauty, they do drinks, they do anything that is sort of can touch a person, mm -hmm. they consider part of their, their landscape. I'm glad you had the chance to spend some time in our SCAD classrooms and studios. What'd you think? I mean, the facilities here are incredible. But what's so exciting to me actually is seeing like um, in the sneaker miner, you know, seeing the kids playing with Oculus and playing with programs that the companies are just beginning to use themselves mm -hmm. so that when they graduate, they can actually come in with a skill set that no one else has, you know, which, which, which is to offer. the most valuable thing in a job market. You know, I always say to, like, I talk to a lot of kids who are in school, are like, I want to get in fashion. I want to get into journalism. I want to do this. You know, what should I do? And I'm like, Bring me the thing I don't know how to do myself. You know, tell me the thing I don't know. Tell me what's coming. And you just clearly prepare them for that, which is um, a skill set on your part. <laughs> Thank you. As you know, SCAD now has a sneaker design minor. Many of our alumni make careers in this industry, and the minor codifies that even further. When did sneakers and casual footwear first go chic, do you think? Well, according to... Mr. Mack, your sneaker guy, who I asked the exact same question to, uh, it started with the Chucks, Chuck Taylors, and the idea that you could wear sneakers not just for sport, but in fact, to say something about who you were as a person, what your identity was, what your value system was, and that, you know, what maybe one particular style or pair of shoes started has now spread, you know, like a, like a virus mm -hmm. into, I think, every aspect of footwear, essentially, into all of our closets, into onto the runway, mm -hmm. into every store, mm -hmm. you know, it's really, it's a phenomenon. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and the idea that Nike, Nike is now the biggest apparel company in the world mm -hmm. is an absolute reflection of that. It is. Yeah. It's 
cool. Or even the sneaker, <laughs> the sneaker weddings too. And um, and yeah. you saw Serena Williams at the Met Gala in her Versace gown at the top of the stairs and her sneakers. Oh, I missed that. Okay, you're telling me something. <laughs> so I'll have you here, Vanessa. If you were advising on our curriculum, what would you say is the next big thing that we should consider? Um, I was actually talking to your assistant dean, I think, at the at the new DeSolite Business School yes. about this. Um, I, I firmly believe that, that resale is one of the great big um, mm. fashion frontiers that every brand is going to embrace. Um, very soon in the same way that like in the beginning with e-tail and online selling, most luxury brands were kind of scared of that and didn't want to touch it. So they would give, you know, they would they would hire Ukes or they would hire a porte to kind of do their back office and handle it for them. And then gradually they started taking control of their own e-tail. And now, of course, like you can't imagine a luxury brand that doesn't do its own, you know, its own e-tail, except maybe Chanel a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think resale is going to be the same thing. So right now, you know, they'll sell on the real reel. They will sell on the runway. But uh, my guess is like in the next five years, every big brand is going to start wanting to control their own second, the second life of their own garments. Mm-hmm. And they should. Mm-hmm. You know, we should all be thinking second life or second use, third use, mm-hmm. next use. Mm-hmm. And then it's verified too. Exactly. I mean, the data, I think, is incredibly useful because you think about it, like, wouldn't you like to know as a brand how long someone used, you know, a product for? Like, was it only a season? Did they keep it for 10 years? Mm -hmm. What were the problems with it? Mm -hmm. And then and then say, okay, you know, what should we do with it next? Mm -hmm. Traceability. I'm intrigued by the trend of limited edition collaboration collections and you know, there are all these, you know, Louis Vuitton and Nike Air Force One, Prada and Adidas, Yeezy Gap engineered by Balenciaga, or Balenciaga and Croc, Gucci and the North Face, Birkenstock and Manolo Blahnik, I never thought I'd see that, Carolina Herrera and Paperless Post, and Findachi. Findachi. <laughs> What's the benefit to co-brand, and how do they avoid diluting their own brand? Well, I mean, marketing is the mm-hmm. biggest, right, and access to a new market. Right. If you have a if you have someone who is a Nike customer or a Birkenstock customer, they're not necessarily a Manola customer or a Dior customer and vice versa. Mm-hmm. You combine the two and suddenly you get to speak to a whole group of people who might not have really thought that you were relevant to their life in any way before. So it gives you access to a much larger potential consumer base. Um, it gives you access to the values attached to the other brand, which is often, you know, if you're a luxury brand on one hand, you've got the, the sort of the quality of the materials, the work that goes into it, the inaccessibility and elitism of it. If you are a sports brand, you are cool. If you're a Supreme, you know, a streetwear brand, you have the cool factor that luxury brands generally mm. don't have. So you kind of cross-pollinate those value systems. Mm. Um, and also, you know, at the point where we're in this weird moment where despite all the talk about sustainability or responsibility or the need to, for fashion to make less, fashion is just making, you know, Lot, collection after collection after collection, drop after drop after drop. And, you know, if you're a creative director, you only have so many ideas. So if you team up with someone else, you get some of their ideas <laughs> and then you get to make a new thing. So I think part of it is just driven by this seemingly boundless appetite for new stuff. Mm-hmm. And they may become even more collectible if they're limited. If, if they're, they're limited. limited. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Although I think the risk in all of this is that, you know, the first time it happens, it's like super exciting. Yes. Mm-hmm. Second time it happens, it's slightly less exciting. Now, honestly, I feel like every week there's a new one. At a certain point, you just think, ugh. So you either have to raise the bar, you know, which is what happened when you get Fendachi, mm-hmm. or do something really crazy, or maybe like have a new idea. 
Okay, let's think about it. <laughs> Sustainability in fashion is something you focused on in your writing and lectures. Recent stats show fashion generates a significant percentage of total waste, some 92 million tons a year, generating many changes, including upcycling services like Rent the Runway and other steps the industry is taking to create a circular economy with less waste. What are some of the challenges fashion still faces to avoid being wasteful and seemingly dismissive of environmental impact? I mean, we've been talking about this for we, a long they, time. They, fashion, makes, fashion makes too much stuff, period. There is too much stuff. And, and I think people have been trained into a pattern of overconsumption that is bad. I mean, you know, there, there's a lot of demonization of fast fashion and all of this. And I think, you know, certainly it has a, you know, it has played a role in it. But, you know, I, I genuinely believe that like fast fashion initially came from a good place, right? It came from the desire to give everyone access to style at any price point they could afford, right? And to me, that's a good, you know, that is a good thing. And I think people should have access to style. And that somehow has gotten kind of Frankensteined into everyone should have access to new stuff at any moment in time. And that is not a good thing. And it has, you know, moved far out of fast fashion into every level of fashion. And, you know, we are simply like, we have lost our sense of value when it comes to products. We have lost our sense of how long something should be kept. I mean, you know, I think my, my grandmother who really, you know, left school at 12, did not have any money, but would like save her money, you know, for five years, 10 years to buy like an alligator purse. Mm -hmm. And then she would have that purse and it was her purse and it, you know, and she would, and she would hand it down to, you know, my mother, like, I think I have it now. Mm -hmm. And that sense that you, that the, these things are the product of, you know, a creative mind and actual people whose work goes into it has just been completely lost. And we need to find a way to kind of re-understand and reframe our understanding of what value is and how it attaches to garments and how we want to keep them. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that is the single biggest thing that anyone can do, brand or person, to, you know, help deal with this climate, you know, with, the, with the climate crisis and fashion's role in it. And then, you know, beyond that, Obviously, materials research is really interesting. The um, awareness of carbon footprint, which you know I think all brands have now, is you know is is very positive. But I think we all have to understand we have a role to play. I mean, I was I was talking to a luxury brand executive the other day, and he said of a very big company, he said, well, actually, you know, our contribution to fashion's contribution to the climate crisis is you know less than one percent. It's tiny, and the implication being like you really shouldn't be bugging me about this because it's not, you know, I am not the problem. But if every single person thinks they are not the problem, nothing happens, right? Every single person has to take responsibility for whatever their tiny little part of the problem is, I think. Something very important, very important for us to teach to all of our students. Let's talk about the metaverse, which right now is sort of an ultimate fashion playground. <laughs> You've written about fashion in the metaverse, and I'd like to hear your thoughts on how designers approach virtual collections. What are the opportunities and what are the potential minefields? So I think they approach them in two ways, and it probably depends partly if they are a young designer or a student or an established designer. Mm -hmm. Established designers tend to make virtual versions of their real clothes and they might be slightly different looking if they're like on a roblox but mm -hmm. robot yeah. um, or cartoon than they would be if they were on a um a hanger in store but they're effectively the roblox version of 
the thing you would find in a store. And the idea is to, again, like reach a new audience and maybe drive them into the store so they would buy the real thing as well as wanting to buy the, the virtual thing. Because, I mean, yes, it can satisfy an urge to, to buy a new garment if you buy it for your avatar or you buy a skin for yourself, but um, it is not priced in the same way and it is not going to feel the same. So it's not really a replacement. Some people are suggesting it could be a replacement for, for real fashion, but I don't actually think that's true. Um, but the younger designers or the purely virtual designers, because there are people yeah. who have graduated and now, you know, only run virtual stores. Mm -hmm. They're making, you know, like the kinds of clothes that you could never wear mm -hmm. in the real, you know, in the physical world. So like, you know, shoes that burst into flames mm -hmm. and dresses that become whole gardens and like, you know, bloom and then the, the trees fall, then the leaves mm -hmm. fall off and, you know, sort of extraordinary garments. And they say that the kids who are buying their clothes, you know, that's what they want. Like they, they, they want. want something that is an alternative to what maybe they're, you know, the, the constraints of the gravity mm -hmm. and the physical world. Mm -hmm. Lots to think about there. Maybe that's a new major. It definitely, that definitely <laughs> is a new major. <laughs> Every collection needs an identity, a story. Do you have a favorite era of fashion, I wonder? Or is there a recent collection that particularly impressed you for storytelling or anything else? I do not have a favorite era of fashion, uh, nor do I have a favorite designer. Um, but we you know what I respond to are designers who make me think and work that makes me think. I don't have to like it. I certainly don't have to want to wear it. I could probably never afford it. But um, but I like, you know, someone who's challenging ideas I have or notions I have of what, you know, what a garment is or where, you know, people, where consumers' identity is at a specific moment in time. And, um, you know, certainly this last round of shows, I thought the Balenciaga show where the designer, Demna Kapsalaya, dealt with the war in Ukraine was, you know, an incredibly powerful experience that could have gone so wrong. I mean, it was such a risky thing to do because, you know, for most people, the idea of attaching a luxury brand and very expensive fashion to a kind of global crisis and trauma is, you know, gross and, and just sort of in bad taste in every way. But because he is Georgian, you know, because his family had to flee during a war and because he you know he read a ukrainian poem in ukrainian he really he managed to to make it yeah to make it really powerfully mean something and the discomfort that i think everyone felt because of the tension between the fact it was a luxury brand and he was talking about war is in fact the discomfort he wanted you to feel you know it, it is uncomfortable it's uncomfortable when we're sitting in our in the comfort of our, our own homes and we know there's a war going on so i think that that was a really brave and useful statement to make. Often doesn't work. This time it did. Yeah. I always enjoy your Q&A column. Will you share with me some of the questions you get time and time again, uh, or maybe a few that made you chuckle and you think back over them from time to time? Well, so first, I just like, I love talking to readers at the New York Times. And one of the things that's so wonderful about technology, it does allow you to have sort of a dialogue with readers in a way that, you know, we never used to in newspapers where you kind of, it was published, went out into the world and you never heard anything back. Um, so it's really fun to get questions. And, you know, and I get them from people who are like from high school through their 80s um, and, you know, all over the United States and all over the world, um, Australia and Germany and England, um, Canada. And, you know, I often hear like questions about bodies, you know, the, the sort of the issue of inclusivity and fashion. And if, you know, like 
people talk a lot about the problems tall people have getting dressed. They talk less often about the problems really short people have mm -hmm. getting dressed. And you're just like, where do they find clothes? Or, you know, my body is this way now. Like, how can I dress? Or I hate my neck. Like, I understand what you mean. <laughs> like, um, you know, or, or just I'm, I'm changing jobs. I'm moving, you know, I'm moving places. Like, how do I define myself in this new space? Mm -hmm. And how can I do it in a way that I can afford? You know, I mean, the New York Times, the average New York Times reader is not making a lot of huge amount of money. And that's clearly an issue. And one of the things I just was thinking about, actually, because of this, is how can you dress responsibly? You know, how can you dress ethically if you have a very limited budget? Because then really, I mean, you know, one of the things we don't talk enough about is the fact that often sustainable fashion, ethical fashion is, is much more expensive fashion. If you can't afford that, what do you do? And the answer was you buy something, you wear it a lot, a lot as much as you possibly can. Go shop a student fashion show. That's a very good solution. <laughs> Our 2022 Andre Leon Talley Award recipient is SCAD alum Christopher John Rogers, who's become a leading voice in fashion. What's your take on his success and what he's tapped into so strongly? Well, I think it's terrific that he's getting the award. I think he's a very talented designer. I've thought so for a while. Um, I think, you know, seeing the collections he made during COVID with their with their bright colors, with their kind of joyful shapes was, you know, it was really, honestly, it was like, it would cheer me up every time he dropped one. Um, so I think he really does, you know, he both understands the history of fashion, the history of silhouette, um, how to work with a body, and, you know, and, and he has this very contemporary kind of stripped down ability to combine shape and really bright color in a way that is, you know, just feels very, very modern. So I'm excited to see what he, he does next. And I like the fact that he wasn't afraid during the pandemic to say, okay, I'm not gonna spend all this money on a virtual show. You know, I'm not gonna buy into the system. I am going to do what I can you know, what feels right for me and what I can handle and what I can afford, which I think, you know, is an incredibly important lesson for young designers and kids coming into this industry that, you know, you do what you can afford. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that allows you to have your creativity and have a business at the same time. Mm -hmm. You don't have to rush to have a giant fashion show. You don't have to become obsessed with marketing. You know, there is a way to grow slowly over time mm -hmm. that is more sustainable. Mm -hmm. than another option. Mm -hmm. I think he has exercised restraint and he's been patient. He's going to be around for a while and that is all to the good for us. Yes. <laughs> Vanessa, thank you for your insights today. I've read tens of thousands of your words over the years and attended conferences that you've masterfully led. Your work elevates fashion in a very erudite and thoughtful way. It's been a pleasure talking to you today. It's been an honor. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed hearing from Vanessa Friedman. You can read Friedman's latest work and articles on nytimes.com. And you can catch up with all things SCAD Savannah Film Festival at filmfest.scad.edu. If you're traveling for the film festival, I hope you have a very safe time getting here, and I can't wait to see you in town. Thank you for tuning in to SCADcast and On Creativity, executive produced by SCAD president and founder Paula Wallace, with original music by SCAD alumnus George Lovett.
We'll see you in a couple of weeks.